All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick at 50. Okay, anytime we get a mock draft, it gives us plenty to react to, and we're going to react now to some of uh, Todd's picks. I always feel bad in these situations, guys. Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, Jason Fitz, I always feel bad in this situation because, you know, Todd, right away, you're going to have to defend yourself, but defend yourself, good sir. Let's start with some of these picks. We'll start with Desmond Ritter in the second round. Why, why did you have him going in the second round, first and foremost? I actually, I swapped it out initially, and this is what the notes you got. I, I threw you a curveball. I had him going 34 to uh, the Detroit Lions, who pick at 32, remember, and then 34. I wanted Dax Hill, the safety from Michigan, to be in the first round. I I think he's a first-round player. I just couldn't find the right spot for a safety late in the first. So I went with Hill to the Lions, who have a safety need. They didn't go go safety. They went edge rusher with the, the number two overall pick. So I went with Dax Hill at 32. Then I looked at it and said, you know what? If they're going to draft a quarterback, why not get that fifth-year option with them? And to develop Desmond Ritter, you're going to want him for five years, not four. So when you draft a player in the, in the first round, you get that fifth-year option. So I flip-flopped him there because at, at, um, at 30, 33, the Jaguars went with a quarter, uh, cornerback, I should say, in, uh, in Kyler Gordon from Washington. So that, that was what happened inside my house, and I wound up making that flip-flop. But Ritter, to me, and the, to me the interesting part is – the more people I've talked to in the league, the more are on Ritter's side to be the third quarterback. And some teams I've talked to have, have him at number one and at number two. And some teams, most teams I've talked to actually, have him ahead of Matt Corral from Ole Miss. So that's a little bit different than the information I was getting early on, and I just kind of wanted to reflect that because the mock draft, as we always talk about, Mel, is about what you're hearing more so than, than what you think in your evaluation. Todd, I thought it could be QB1. Remember, we were doing the podcast back before the uh, Alabama game mm-hmm. in the semifinal. I said, boy, he could be QB1 if he really shows and plays well against the Crimson Tide. And he didn't want to make a lot out of one game, but I think it was really important. Had he come out of that game and not looked a little overwhelmed as the team was outmanned, we would have been talking about Ritter going into, say, senior bowls and all that as QB1. But, in fact, he was talking about as four or five, okay? Somebody even five. So, again... Desmond Ritter's character, his dual threat ability, the way he can run, the way he can spin it, he can make any throw, I think really allowed him over these last couple months to ascend and make that Alabama game be a thing of the past where one game isn't going to define Desmond Ritter. One day didn't define Josh Allen, that Iowa game. Remember that first game that year uh, is Josh's final year? One game Mm -hmm. doesn't define players. So to me, I think Desmond Ritter has now, as you said, could be the third quarterback off the board. The guy that you flipped, Daxton Hill, I think he's the 13th best player, Todd. You go back to grades and film He's a slot co- You can make an argument he's the, one of the better slot corners. He's a slot he corner. He gets after the quarterback. Yep. His, his anticipation. He can do it all. He's just so versatile. He tackles well. He's impactful in so many ways. Daxton Hill, he's number, a highly rated guy, five-star coming out of high school. You know, Justice Hill's brother, all those things. Daxton Hill, when you look at the five defensive backs, the best five defensive backs in this draft, you say, okay, we got – Sauce Gardner and Kyle Hamilton, that's two, right? Then we, if we want to go to, you know, Derek Stingley Jr. at three. And then we want to, do we go Trent McDuffie? 
Okay, say four. Then you got to go Daxton Hill, and you can make an argument Daxton Hill should be in there at four. So here's a guy I'm with you. I think he's a borderline first. If he gets into the second round, Daxton Hill, uh, because it's safety, there's some guys that after the top five, six that you're a little iffy on, and he's like I say, can be a slot corner. I think Daxton Hill may be one of the most underrated defensive players in this draft. One of the awesome things for me is that I get to just wear a fan hat sometimes and ask you fan questions, uh, but my Raiders don't have a pick till the third round, so we haven't gotten that far with this process. <laughs> so instead, I'll ask you a question, Todd, about a player that I'm a particular fan of because covering college football this fall for ESPN, I don't know that I loved watching somebody much more than Kenneth Walker III week in and week out and the way he ran, how hard he ran. You've got him in a mock going to the Bills. Who is he as a pro to you? I, th- I think he's got a chance to come in, and he can be an every-down starter because he's so explosive. The biggest question mark I have with Kenneth Walker is, is he going to make a career decision that he's going to pass block? Because he didn't do that very well at the college level. D- throw out the numbers. Just talk to people in- inside Michigan State about him in practice catching the football. Go watch his reel of him catching the football out of the backfield. He can be an impact receiver out of the backfield. I had him going 57. To be honest with you, both these running backs, and Kuiper, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. I've heard stuff about Brees Hall from Iowa State. Most people have him as the number one back. I have him as the number two behind uh, Kenneth Walker. I think Walker's the more explosive, dynamic back in terms of the yards after contact and, the, and just how quickly he hits and, and gets through the hole. But with both of these running backs, they started to fall. Because in the beginning of the first round, I didn't have many teams – that had a running back need. So I had, I had Brees Hall going 50 overall, Kenneth Walker going 57, even though I have them both in the, the late 30s, early 40s in terms of rankings. But if, they, if Brees Hall doesn't go late in the first, you could see a little bit of, of a slide with these running backs. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry, would he go in the later second? You think about where some of these running backs have slid Mm -hmm. to that have been really good. Brees Hall, on the heels of the productive career, Todd, then the great workout. I went with Hall. I'm with you on Walker, what he did at Wake Forest, then to come in there for that one-year slippery runner. I tell you, he's able to break tackles. Both of them are. And I think the pass protection you talked about with Walker, you know, Hall's got to work on that, too. Brees Hall was okay, but he wasn't great. And a lot of these guys are not mm-hmm. asked to do that in college. They don't really have to worry about it as much. Quarterbacks are getting the ball out. they got a lot of time. They're moving around. There's not a lot of great pass rushers with all the teams they play. So it's a different mindset for a collegiate running back. But they're, they're not there to block. They're there to catch and uh, to run and then catch the ball. And they both did that very effectively. And I think they can pick that up. They're both tough kids. I think they'll handle that effectively. But they do have to work on that and realize in the NFL, that's going to get you watching or get you playing based on whether you're the last line of defense for that quarterback. So I, I think it's a tough call. I went with Brees Hall, with Kenneth Walker. And then the third guy, I think we like James Cook, is kind of that accent piece. Yeah, that guy you can put in a slot wide, catch the ball, Dalvin Cook's younger brother. And James Cook maybe slotted in as the third running back overall. Okay, so now we move on to another quarterback that I think is particularly interesting, Todd. In your mock, you have Sam Howell going 58 uh, overall uh, to the Falcons in this. So uh, it's interesting to me. Though, I talked to somebody around the North Carolina program said that offense doesn't really translate like an NFL offense. When you're talking about a quarterback coming in, how do they evaluate Sam Howell? Yeah, it's interesting. If you talk to anyone inside North Carolina, they love this guy. And not just because he's your typical leader and smart and all those things. It's, it's because of how he works and, and what he stands for and how competitive he was and how he was willing. You know, if you watch any of his tape, it's like quarterback draw after quarterback draw. I think it was Wake Forest. There was one drive where they needed him, and it was back-to-back quarterback draws where he's, just, he's driving him down the field, and he's taking a pounding, and he's always bouncing back up. So – 
You love his toughness and his competitiveness. There isn't a throw that he can't make. He has a lot of energy in his arm. I think he's the best deep ball passer in this class. The stats don't back it up, but that's the tape that I saw, and and I'm going to stick with that. And a lot of guys in the league would agree with it. With Howell, you know, the system, as you mentioned, Fitz, is the whole deal. He's going to have a a learning curve, but what's to say that he can't pick it up and, and become good two, three years down the road, or maybe a year down the road? So he's an intriguing prospect, and the more people I talk to in the league after the, the private interviews and after the pro day workout and being around there, I knew this was going to happen. I said this back before the combine. This pre-draft process is going to help Howell. He's not going to be a first-round pick. He may go late in the second round. But there are teams out there that I've talked to that are really intrigued more so now than they were a couple months ago with Howell because they've had more time being around him and around the people who have been around him the last four years. Yeah, I think the one thing, Todd, just to piggyback that is you take a Daz Newsom and a De'Ami Brown off that pass offense, and you saw what happened. The line, he held the mm-hmm. ball too long. That's one thing he did. Held the ball too long, and then the height, mm-hmm. the lack of ideal height with passes being bad. Yeah, that's down. a big concern. That's something he's a work Needs to work on, you know, throwing through lanes. So Drew Brees is six feet. How many passes Drew Brees have batted down? Not many. Sam Howell had a lot. That's something he needs to work on. And now a lot of that is instinctual, mm-hmm. so we'll see. I think Carson Strong is going to be interesting, Todd. Carson Strong can throw the football. And he talked about the knee and the issue he had. Now healthy, coming out of high school with the knee. 70% the last two years. And he doesn't throw interceptions. I went back to even high school. This kid does not throw interceptions, Todd. His touchdown-interception ratio was amazing. Now he had Romeo Dubs and some others. I get that in a competition, but Carson Strong, if the knees are sound and everything's good physically for him, I know the mobility is going to be an issue. If you can protect him with an offensive line, like Mac Jones coming out of Alabama, you knew you had to protect him. Carson Strong can throw the football. There's no doubt. He can put the ball on you as well, accuracy-wise, and he he plays a smart game. Uh, You know, Carson Strong, if you want to put him as a fifth quarterback, sixth quarterback, knowing that the medical is okay moving forward, uh, I think that would be an intriguing guy in round three. What's interesting to me, gentlemen, as I listen to you talk about quarterbacks, is there's this U2 story where Bono came out years ago in an interview and said if U2 had come out as a modern musical act, they never would have made it because it took them three records to figure out who they are as a musical act. And nowadays, you don't even get three singles. In the NFL, I wonder how many of these quarterbacks would have a better chance to succeed if they had the opportunity to develop slowly. That's all I'm saying. You guys are the brilliant I love ones. It fits. Now, bringing it full circle, man. Look at that. Just bringing everything together. Now go listen to some U2. We're having a good time. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, 
you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Big thanks to my guy Fitz and, of course, Mel and Todd. We can't do this without them. I'm Matt Miller, joined alongside by Jordan Reed. Uh, Jordan, this is my first time on the First Draft Podcast. They're throwing me into the water here. First time in, you get to host the show with you. Uh, Obviously, a huge fan of your work, as you know. Uh, For people who maybe don't know who I am, uh, I was at Bleacher Report for 10 years, leading the NFL draft coverage there. Joined ESPN in February of 21 to do a little bit of TV and now joining ESPN full-time uh, in 2022. I'm super excited to work alongside you, Mel, Todd, all the amazing people here. But no one wants to hear about that. What they do want to hear about is this article you and I put out looking at our top team needs for every team. You can check that out on ESPN Plus right now. Uh, we got some deep needs for some of these teams. It's going to be a lot of fun rolling through it. And I want to give the floor to you. We're kind of picking a favorite team from each division. Uh, You're leading us off with the AFC East. Buffalo looks dominant there. Can anyone catch them? I think that's what we're all watching for. Uh, Who are you highlighting for us in the AFC East? Um, I'm going to stay with Buffalo just because I think this is a team that has an interesting set of needs. They've had some really good additions this offseason, specifically in the interior defensive line. They bought over guys like Tim Settle. Um, they have some other additions, too, along the interior defensive line. But I think cornerback is one area where I think they could address, whether it's at 25 or somewhere in the second round. Tredavious White went down on Thanksgiving with the torn ACL. But also they, lo- they lose Levi Wallace via free agency to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's a huge void at the cornerback spot for the Buffalo Bills and for a team that doesn't have a whole bunch of holes on their roster. I'm looking forward to seeing with Brandon Bean and then also Sean McDermott where they see this roster at right now. But if I had to guess, I think cornerback is probably the way they could go at number 25 overall. Yeah, I know a lot of people say receiver for them, maybe running back Brees Hall. Uh, having been at that game in the AFC playoffs, the Chiefs Bills, like just back and forth overtime game while it was freezing outside by the way I think you saw very quickly that Buffalo they can score they need help stopping the other team from scoring and the AFC has just been an arms race it seems like everybody's adding elite playmakers on offense I I love that spot there do you have a player or two in mind that could be there at 25 that would kind of fill that need that they have at corner so one player that just screams Buffalo Bills to me is Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson and I know he's one that We haven't seen him in the pre-draft process. He strained the quad prior to the combine, and then he has the core muscle surgery for the sports hernia a couple weeks ago. He didn't even get to perform at Pro Day. But as far as the physicality against the run, the athleticism that he has, and just how well he's able to make plays on the ball in the air, I think he would be a great – I think this would be a great spot for him. Yeah, and could play right away, which is something that that they need with Levi leaving. All right, how about the AFC North? Uh, That's been a wild wild division you know Cleveland adds Deshaun Watson we'll see and Amari Cooper we'll see what type of impacts those have you know, Baltimore and Pittsburgh haven't been super loud in what they've done but Cincinnati is the team to catch and try to beat right now what team do you want to highlight from there let's do the Baltimore Ravens I think they're in an interesting spot and I think whenever you think of these teams that the Ravens have had success with they've been strong in the trenches and I just didn't get that sense from the Ravens a year ago I think they kind of got away from what their identity has been they had some older players in the middle Brandon Williams Calais Campbell some players that I think will probably not be back they won't bring back at all we saw Michael Pierce already back I think they struck gold with Odafe Owe in the first round a year ago, but I want to see them get back 
to being themselves. And I think at number 14 overall, I think they could select an edge rusher. And one that I want to highlight that I think is a perfect fit for them is Jermaine Johnson II from Florida State, just because of the versatility that he has as a run defender, and then also how well he plays against the pass to him coming over from Georgia after playing a handful of games there. It's pretty crazy to think that he probably didn't even get any snaps at all in that Georgia defense, considering right. how loaded they were a year ago. And then he transitions over to being the ACC defensive player of the year, which is just remarkable in his first, he was there in Tallahassee for basically six months and he ends up being the ACC defensive player of the year, but he's just one player that screams Baltimore Ravens to me. No, he does to me as well. I, watching him this year was kind of a journey for me because like you said, knew he was coming out of Georgia, but he didn't really play there. So he gets to Florida State, and it's just like you're watching him over the year, and every time I watched it, like he moved up. And then we got to Mobile at the Senior Bowl, and he took over. Like he just yeah. dominated that entire week, and you saw the athleticism and the ability to bend. Uh, I, I love him for Baltimore. I think the question I would ask you, do you think he'll be there for them? Because it definitely seems like David Ojibo getting hurt, getting hurt excuse me, at the pro day. Maybe that there, now there's room for Jermaine Johnson to move up. It's a possibility. I mean, even as high as Atlanta at eight, that wouldn't surprise me with them looking to get some bigger bodies in that DMP's 3-4 defense. I think he's scheme versatile. He can play in a 4-3. He can play as a five technique in a 4-3. He can also be a base defensive end, a four-out, four technique in a 3-4. So Atlanta at eight wouldn't surprise me, even though I think they have some bigger needs uh, just because that roster is really bad right now. Yeah. The Jets at 10 wouldn't surprise me. They have a need for defensive end as well. So there's a lot of different teams of where he could go, even Minnesota at 12 wouldn't surprise me either even though they have Zadarius Smith and then also Daniel Hunter you can never have too many defensive linemen so there's a lot of spots that you could circle for him to go but if he does slip to 14 I would definitely love to see him on the Ravens I think that would be a great fit yeah no for sure all right let's go to the AFC South this was my division to kind of figure out and I want to look at the Tennessee Titans because they're a team that they've they've made these playoff runs the last couple of years and they did it last year without Derrick Henry for a big stretch of that season. They traded for Julio Jones, second round pick for him. He doesn't really live up to the expectations. So I think they're one of the more interesting teams, the AFC, where we've seen everyone else make these big moves to get better. Like the Dolphins trade for Tyree Kill, the Browns trade for Deshaun Watson, uh, the Chiefs bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, the Raiders get Devontae Adams. We could go almost like line by line. The Titans haven't really done that yet. They re-signed their own guy in Harold Landry as a pass rusher. But for the most part, they've kind of just stayed past. Said we're going to build around what we have here. We're going to build through the draft at number 26 overall. But I look at the Titans. I know a lot of people have said wide receiver is a big need for them. I think offensive tackle is a very big need for them at right tackle. They took Dylan Radens last year out of North Dakota State in the second round. Whether he plays guard or tackle will probably dictate this need. But I think offensive line, I should say, I guess, is, is where they I see them going, at least in the first round. Maybe a guy like Trevor Penning falls to them at late first round, although he did have a great senior bowl week of just picking fights with every defensive player that was on the field there. <laughs> but even a guy like Kenya Green from Texas A&M, who has all that positional versatility, can legitimately play five positions up front. Zion Johnson at Boston College can play guard or center. So I see the Titans, Jordan, as a team. Like, yeah, they need another receiver out there. They need some speed. But they could definitely go defense as well. But I think they got to figure out this offensive line with Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown. Like you have your weapons on offense. Now you got to figure out that O line up front. 
yeah, there's a lot of different directions that this team could go. And I think you're spot on as far as wide receiver or offensive tackle. And another name that I would throw in there that I think would be a good fit is Tyler Smith from Tulsa. Oh, yeah. I think he's one name that if you're talking about a ground and pound type of offense of where you just want to get downhill and run the football, I think he fits that type of offense to a T. And a lot of scouts had a lot of respect for him coming back from his pro day. They said he looked terrific. And you're starting to see his name creep up in the bottom half of mock drafts, which is where Tennessee is slated to pick right now. I just want to see Vrabel and Tyler Smith go head to head in practice like that. Yeah. Epic, <laughs> epic matchups with those two could just let Vrabel put the pads off for a little bit. Uh, all right. The AFC West, the team that, that I'm closest to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not just picking them because I'm close to Kansas City. I actually think that the Chiefs have a lot more needs than people realize. And I was saying that before they traded Tyreek Hill. Now they really have a lot more needs than people realize. Obviously, they could still add a wide receiver after picking up. Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS from the Green Bay Packers. I do think they need a right tackle. They need a pass rusher opposite Frank Clark. They need all kinds of help in the secondary. Tyron Matthews is gone. Shavarius Ward is gone. Uh, they do have two picks in the first round, 29 and 30 overall. And I look at it, Jordan, I know everyone says, get them a receiver, get them a receiver. I actually think they have to wait on a receiver because the two guys they picked up a free agency, maybe address that at pick 50 in round two. So in round one, if I'm sitting in there with Brett Veach, I'm screaming, we got to get a pass rusher. Some like boy Mafe from Minnesota. Opposite Frank Clark would be amazing. And then at 30, maybe this is just a dream of mine, but Dax Hill from Michigan playing that slot yeah. corner role would be exactly what they need to replace the honey badger. I know they got, uh, they got Justin Reed in there, uh, your brother, Justin Reed in there at the safety <laughs> position. Every time I say his name, I almost say Jordan. It almost trips me up every okay. damn time. Uh, so they got Justin Reed in there, but I do think speed at the safety position is still a pretty big need for them. Yeah, there's a lot of different directions that the Chiefs could go. You have three selections in the top 50, which is unheard of for Brett Beach. He's just not used to having this much draft capital, especially with the success that they have had in the playoffs. And you're not going to replace Ty Tyreek Hill just because he's what I like to call one of one. He's only yep. the only guy on this planet Earth that has that type of speed to be able to play that fast. It looks like he plays the game in fast forward. But what they've already begun to do is kind of create a committee to replace that production. They bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling to take or bring back that dynamic vertical speed that Tyreek Hill brought to the table. So it's kind of like you have to use two to three bodies in a sense to replace this one guy that they lost just because he was such a chunk or, or so much. He produced so much in that offense. He had such great chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. So I would take a wide receiver. I like Jahan Dotson at 30 or 29, either one. I think he's a player that could come in and be an immediate contributor for them. But with that second round pick. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets pizza, better because it has to be. I would take a chance on David Ajabo right there if he's there. Oh, and yeah. I would I was seriously thinking I would seriously think about doubling up at edge rusher. Like you mentioned, Boye Mafe. I think he would be a really good pick for him. But come back in the second round and take David Ajabo too. I think that's one spot I would have circled as a team that would take that should take a chance on him. Your seven round mock draft is coming out soon, right? So you're not giving away all your yeah. picks, right? We gotta save those. I'm, I'm trying my best not to. <laughs> that's the, the hardest part <laughs> but that the espn plus that drops that drops very soon uh, on espn very plus soon. jordan seven round mock draft which 
is so much work. I hope I hope people yeah. are, are giving you a couple of days off after that because it is a, a lot of work. Uh, let's kick back to your side of things. The NFC East. NFC has won the last two Super Bowls, Tampa and then the L.A. Rams. A lot of different philosophies about how to team build. Obviously, we have the Cowboys here. They got kind of almost an aging team. Uh, the Giants, the Eagles, and Washington, the Commanders, which I'm never going to get used to saying. Uh, yeah. But with the <laughs> NFC East, who are you looking at, Jordan, as your team to highlight? I want to highlight two teams here, if that's okay, just because we have, two teams, yeah. we, we have two teams that have double first-round picks. And the New York Giants, I think they're in a really interesting situation, holding the number five and also the seventh overall pick. There's so many different directions that they could go. But – I think the fifth spot is so interesting to me just because you could have Evan Neal there. You could have Kayvon Thibodeau there. Ikem Aquanu could be there. There's so many different possibilities that they have. And then with Joe Shane coming in, the regime that he came from in Buffalo, we know that they want to build up the trenches, but they're not afraid to take chances on projects either at that position. But also, I do want to throw this in there. I think if a team wants to trade up for a quarterback, I would circle that fifth spot just because with the Carolina Panthers sitting at number six overall, I yep. think that's where the quarterback run could start. That's assuming that Detroit doesn't take one at number two overall. But I think that fifth spot could be the sweet spot if the Saints or the Pittsburgh Steelers want to trade up for a Malik Willis or even a Kenny Pickett. So I think the Giants at number five and then also number seven overall, there's so many different possibilities that they could have in this draft. Yeah, and you mentioned two teams in the East have multiple ones. Philadelphia actually had three ones there for a little while. What were your needs for Philly this offseason? Uh, the secondary and then also edge rusher. It's just doing research on Philadelphia. Just some of the stats that I found are just fascinating. So they never selected the safety in the first round. And then the last corner that they have selected was in 2002 when they selected Lito Shepard, who was a really good player. So it's been a long time since they've invested high draft capital in the secondary. But there's so many talented players in this draft class of where I really hope that streak is in jeopardy with cornerbacks, just because if they don't walk out this draft, especially the first round without a cornerback, I would be very scared for my friends that work in the building in Philadelphia, just because those fans probably going to try to burn that building down if they don't get anybody in the secondary. And there's plenty of players that they can take, whether it's at 15 or 19, which are the picks that they have right now. Trent McDuffie from Washington. I think could be one name that they have circled. Um, there's plenty of others, too, that I would like at that selection. I don't even think it's too high for Kyer Elam with the 19th overall selection. I'm higher on Elam than most people. Uh, I think he's going to go a little bit higher than what some people are predicting right now. But this cornerback class is so special. I think there's a lot of players that they could walk out of the first round with. Even Andrew Booth Jr., who you mentioned earlier from Clemson. Yeah. If you are okay with the kind of the core injuries that he's dealt with, then, then I think he's a pretty good value at 19. All right, how about the NFC North? I mean, this division's a mess. Like, the Bears don't have a first-round pick. Uh, the Vikings and Packers both re-upped their kind of aging quarterbacks. The Lions have two first-round picks. Uh, who do you want to call out here? I mean, we have to talk about the Green Bay Packers, right? Just because right. everybody likes to bring up the streak of them not taking a first-round wide receiver. They're another team that if they don't walk out of the first round with a wide receiver, <laughs> it's going to be really <laughs> interesting to see. Read some of the reviews after night one of the draft, and they have haven't selected one since Javon Walker also in 2002, I believe it was. That's the last time yep. that they have selected a wide receiver. So Brian Gutekunst growing up in this Green Bay Packer philosophy of not taking wide receivers until day two. And they've had a lot of success. It's not just Devontae Adams, uh, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jordy Nelson. The list goes on and on of these players that they have been able to find in the second round to satisfy those wide receiver spots, holding 22 and 28 overall, I believe it is. There's so many different yeah. possibilities 
that they hold in this draft class. They could address interior defensive line, even though they bought over Jaron Reed. I still think they need to find a running mate for Kenny Clark. They could address edge rusher, losing Zadarius Smith, excuse me. Then also the obvious hole at wide receiver. That's another area that they could address too. But Chris Olave is one player that I think is just a perfect match for them. Now, that's assuming that he's going to be there at 22. If I had to guess, he's probably not going to be. But if I'm just pegging one player that I think is a perfect fit alongside Aaron Rodgers, Chris Olave from Ohio State, I think he would be a perfect fit. And what's wild with Green Bay is they actually need more than just one receiver. They needed a receiver before they traded Devontae Adams. So they, they and you lose uh, Valdez Scanlings. So they need a couple wideouts and, and might have to do that through rounds one, two, and three, trying to build that wide receiver room out. But the, definitely a huge need for them. All right, I'm up with the NFC South, and I, I think we could talk – an hour about just this division because it's so intriguing what Carolina will do, what Tampa does. But I think the New Orleans Saints, the trade they pulled off last week is I had to read it like three times to try to like figure out exactly what they were doing. I had to like write it down. Be like, okay, this is what they're sending. This is what they're getting. Uh, But now it's 16 and 19. I don't think they're going to get a quarterback at one of those spots. Maybe they like Desmond Ritter a lot more than the rest of us. And they're going to, they're going to pull the trigger there and turn his card in. I would be surprised by that. I see this, Jordan, as a team that they need a receiver opposite Michael Thomas, and they lost their left tackle, Tron Armstead, in free agency, and they don't have an obvious answer on the roster to replace him. So I think they have to come out around one with a receiver and with an offensive tackle. How, Whatever order you want to do that in. If you want to take, like you said, Chris Olave at 16 if he's there, Jamison Williams from Alabama at 16, and then at 19 maybe you can get a Trevor Penning uh, from Northern Iowa. But they have to figure out those two positions. So while it's fun to get excited and say – oh, the Saints are, are kind of step-zoning their way up to the top five to get a quarterback maybe. Perhaps they will. Everything I've heard is that they believe they can win now in this division and that they're going to try to fill those two really big needs at left tackle and wide receiver in round one. But uh, new head coach, obviously, and Dennis Allen, but the same front office, Mickey Loomis and Jeff Ireland, they're really good at what they do. So I think that's going to be a, kind of a fun team to watch on Thursday night and see what they come out with. It is, and one name I do want to mention now, I don't know if he's going to be there, but I just think he would be a perfect fit, and they couldn't ask for a better situation if he is there. And it's Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Yeah. And we both know that opinions are mixed about him right now. I like him as a top 15 type of player, but he's not going to be for everybody. And what I mean by that is he doesn't have a lot of experience as far as a run blocker, but as far as a pass protector, I think he's the most polished of this year's group. I agree. There's going to be some teams – there's going to be some teams that just aren't comfortable with that, especially for, as far as his deficiencies as a run blocker, but he just doesn't have a lot of experience doing so. But as far as a seamless transition to a left tackle from Taron Armstead, Charles Cross would be a fantastic pick. It goes back to that uh, scouting rule of like, what can you do? Not what can you not do? And what he exactly. can do in pass pro is pretty beautiful. And he's definitely athletic enough to learn how to be a run blocker. He's been with our guy, Duke Mannyweather all off season. Yeah. If anyone can teach you how to be a better blocker in the private side of things, Duke is definitely that guy. All right, the final division, the NFC West. There aren't a lot of draft picks in the NFC West to talk about. The 49ers don't have a first. The Rams don't have a first or second. Their first picks at 101 overall. The Cardinals and Seahawks, the only teams with first-round picks. Seattle, it's not even theirs. They got it in a trade. So I have to look at Seattle at number nine overall and say, what are we doing here? That quarterback, they they trade Russell Wilson. (laughs) I know they got Drew Locke back in the trade. When they did that, I definitely didn't think, oh, there's the Seahawks answer at quarterback. I liked Drew Locke coming out of Mizzou, strong arm, good athletic ability, but we haven't seen it on the field. And what he had around him in Denver was actually pretty good. That's not a bad skill set 
uh, skill player roster, excuse me, in Denver. So I think Seattle's interesting. It does not sound like they're going to go quarterback. Maybe we could be surprised there with the Pete Carroll, Lane Kiffin connection. Maybe Matt Corral is their guy. I think they could probably wait until the second round if they wanted to do that. But pass rusher is huge here. Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson are, are definitely names that you hear connected to Seattle. They're another team that also has to answer the left tackle position. So I think the way that they try to stack their board, how they come out, they have three picks in the top 50. How they solve that, you know, answer at the end, left tackle, and maybe even quarterback is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, we both know Seattle is that team that's probably the most unpredictable of anybody in the yeah. draft class just because their board is so different from everybody else's. I'll never forget the LJ Collier pick a couple of years ago oh, yeah. where I just could not believe that they took him in the first round. So little things like that is where Seattle's just different from everybody. So with three picks inside the top 45, it wouldn't surprise me if they come out with players that we were not predicting at all and holding the number nine overall pick. I have no idea what they would do. They can go corner. They can go quarterback. They can go offensive tackle. There's so many different ways that they could go. Yeah, they will. They will be one of those teams. It feels like this year we, we really don't know anything yet. We know who the players are. We know who the team need, but connecting them is harder than ever this year, which I think will make April 28th a pretty fun night for all of us and for all of you watching and listening to this. Don't forget you can check out our team needs for all 32 NFL teams on ESPN.com, ESPN Plus article from myself and my guy, Jordan Reed. Thanks for hanging out with us.